Let me ask you, if I say the word fear, what comes to mind? Probably a number of different things. And maybe one of those kind of goes along the lines of scary, trembling. You know, fear is a powerful word. And I think... uh, the more that we look at this subject of fear, the more that hopefully we're starting to realize that maybe even a majority of the decisions that we make, we make based on fear. We see it a lot. We see it in the office a lot. We see it. I see it a lot in me. I kind of was a I think that maybe that's why Pastor Tim asked me to speak on this subject is because he said, I know you got a lot, uh, you got a lot of this going on here, so you know it well. But we're talking about fear, and the series here is Fear Right. The first week, a couple weeks ago, we looked at a God worth, worth trusting. Who God is, and the more that we focus on God, the more that we realize He is trustworthy. He is dependable. We can count on Him. He is our rock and our fortress. Last week, we looked at proper fear. And remember, there is such a thing as a good fear. The Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. It's a little different than maybe our definition of fear. But it's how we view God and how we make decisions based on who God is. And the reverential all in respect and the the living lives of worship and of thanksgiving. Because of the great and sovereign and powerful God that we serve. But we also realize we get tripped up a lot, don't we? We get our eyes off of that sovereign God. And we many times get it focused on other things. Proverbs 29 says that the fear of man lays a snare. What does it mean, the fear of man? And we see that a lot in Scripture. And I'm going to use these words kind of interchangeably with the fear of man. And and maybe sometimes you've heard it this way, being a people pleaser. It's going for man, for others, for their approval or, or, or for your security in others. Or many times in yourself as well. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking to yourself, well, okay, that's kind of an interesting subject, but I don't know if that really relates to me. Well, here you go. The top ten ways that you may be a people pleaser. See if any of these ring a bell in your life, and you don't need to raise your hand. You can just uh, think to yourself here. Number ten, you compare yourself to others to make you yourself feel good. You start comparing yourself to others and, and giving, kind of thinking through it saying, well, at least I'm not like, or I'm, at least I'm better than. Number nine, you avoid people. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe you had run-ins. And so you start avoiding people. Number eight, you diet to try to impress others. Clearly, I don't have that one. Okay. Worried about how I look and, and my, my physical appearance. Number, uh, number seven. People make you angry or depressed because you're not getting from them what you want. Or maybe you lie often. Oh, not the big whoppers, but those little white lies. You tell people what they want to hear 
you, you want them to think good of me, so you kind of just adjust the truth a little bit so it sounds a little better. Maybe, deep down, you feel as if you might be exposed uh, as an imposter. If they only knew the real me, maybe you're someone who gets very easily embarrassed. Always have to look good. Number four, self-esteem is critical to you. It's imperative that you must feel good about yourself. Got to have a good self-esteem. Number three, you feel like you need things from people. Things that you must have. It, it might be love. It might be respect. It, it, it's, it might be approval. But you need, you have to have this or that from a certain person. Number two. Y'all sitting down for this one, right? You're overcommitted. You can't say no. Because what would others think if I... I've got to try to please, so I always say yes. Number one, you are easily swayed by others, or maybe you're always second-guessing yourself because what would others think? Any of those ring a bell? Any of those, if you're really honest with yourself, would you say, yeah, that is me. Sometimes. If so, those are good indications that, that maybe you do struggle with the fear of man, like all of the rest of us. As we're looking through this Fear Right series, it's important when we focus on God and the fear of God, but we also need to really understand what it is that trips us up and how do we handle it when it does. And so that's really what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to be looking in the book of Jeremiah. And I invite you to turn to to Jeremiah chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the ushers are going to come up and just slip up your hand. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. Uh, Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. It's one of the prophets. Jeremiah was a prophet of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. Tribes of of, of Judah and, and Benjamin. Jeremiah was, uh, well, some of you may know Jeremiah by his other title, the weeping prophet, also wrote Lamentations. God called Jeremiah to a very difficult task, and it was to really to, to, to challenge the nation of Judah and to warn them and, and, and in many cases pronounce judgment upon them because of the sin of Judah. And, and he had a very daunting task because Judah didn't repent of their sin. And you know what it's like when you've got somebody telling you how rotten you are and how much you're in trouble. You don't particularly like that individual a whole lot. It's it's interesting. We're going to look at Jeremiah 17, but even in chapter 1, uh, kind of in verse 8 and 17, God tells Jeremiah, he starts off from the very start and says, look, earlier verses, I formed you in my in your mother's womb. I've made you for this. And he says, you can trust. You trust me. Don't worry about all of these people. Why would he say that? Well, because they weren't going to receive it well. 
We, by the time we get to chapter 17 and, and we see in, in chapter 17 that, uh, the first part we see, I mean, the first three words, the sin of Judah is written. <laughs> And so we see in this chapter that what Jeremiah is doing is is he is God's mouthpiece as a prophet. He's going to communicate God's word to the people and they're dealing with the sin of Judah. And so that's the context here of the passage. And we're going to start then in verse 5. And and point number one is don't seek man's approval. Put your trust in God. Don't seek man's approval. Put your trust in God. Starting in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. As we just take this first verse and break it down phrase by phrase, starts off with, Thus says the Lord. Let it be that there be no doubt where this message is coming from, and it wasn't coming from Jeremiah. This was coming from God. Straight from God. This is what God says. And we need to listen up. Because God is speaking. Cursed is the man. Cursed. You know, it's funny because words like cursed and blessed. Isn't it? We, we, we use those words. We read those words a lot. But yet, what exactly does that mean? I mean, everybody wants to be blessed and nobody wants to be cursed. But when it's talking in Scripture, literally it, it means doomed is the man. Judgment upon the man. Or as I put it, you're just in bad shape. Cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. Puts his trust in man and who seeks to please man, who or, or who has his dependence upon man, puts his confidence in man, or maybe even puts his security in man. So God doesn't pull any punches. He starts off right from the start and saying, you are cursed if you're trusting in man. If, if you're going after the approval or security of anyone human, you're in trouble. Who makes the flesh his strength. Who makes flesh his strengths. And I don't know about you, many of us, we like to work out and we like to build up those muscles. And God says, yeah, that's not enough. If, if your strength has to come from this, you're in bad shape. If your security, if you think people can provide for you what you need, you're in trouble. And he goes on and says, and uh, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Whose hearts turn away from the Lord. We, we see this in the New Testament, don't we? Jesus said, what, you can't serve two masters. Either you love the one, hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. And, and that's what God's saying. Look, you can't be following me. You can't have the fear of the Lord and at the same time be seeking man's approval. It's got to be one or the other. And so if you're seeking man's approval, if, if we're working down this list that I just read off, then what we've done is we've turned our focus off of God and fearing God and on to something or someone else. Now he goes on, he gives an illustration here. 
The man who makes his trust, puts his trust in man, verse 6 then, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any, or shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in the uninhabited salt. He says, if you're doing that, let me give you an example. You're like this little shrub that's out in the desert. Anybody been in any desert? What little wildlife or, or what little growth there is isn't real attractive, is it? A lot of cacti, right? A lot of dry brown things. You think of, you know, kind of the tumbleweeds that are blowing across the sand. And he's saying, look, when, when, when you're going after the approval of man, you're like this shrub in the desert. About five years ago, uh, my wife and I, we, we took a group over to Israel and uh, spent uh, about 10, 12 days in Israel. Fantastic. Just an awesome trip. I, I say it this way. Uh, before, when I would read scripture, it was, I was reading it in black and white. And after being there, it's like reading it and seeing it in color now. One of the things, and I asked the guys to put up a picture here. This is a picture here. We are on top of Masada. And I don't know if you know anything about Masada. Masada was the fortress that the Maccabees had used where they held off the Romans for, for many, many days in the Roman siege. And, and it's in the southern part. It's in Judah. It is, and you see the picture looking off there. That is the Dead Sea. That's the lowest place on earth. The Dead Sea is a, is a, is a crazy, crazy body of water. Uh, we actually later that day went into the Dead Sea and you, you literally, you cannot sink. Because of the mineral contents, 30 some percent mineral salt, and it's also called the salt sea. You, you just kind of float with, I mean, it's just very surreal. It's, it's crazy. You, you can't stay in the water for more than about 10 minutes because it starts eating at you. And, and from the mineral content. But, but I was thinking about that as you're reading through, and remember, Jeremiah is preaching to Judah. And when he talks about the parched places in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, in the uninhabited salt land. What was he talking about? That right there. I'm sure the readers would have thought that right there. Now look at that picture. What color is missing from that picture? There is no green. At first I kind of thought maybe on that far bank there, that's actually Jordan over there on the other side of the... And so I zoomed it in on my computer this week just to make sure and no that's brown and that's actually little cave things from where the cutout around there there is no green are you getting the picture when we put our trust and our dependence on man it's like trying to plant a shrub there it's pretty hopeless it's pretty foolish and that's what God's saying here the uninhabited salt land But, verse 7, then we see, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water and sends out its roots by, by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. But blessed, not cursed, but blessed, praised, saluted, 
Well off is the man who puts his trust in God, puts his confidence, his security, his seeking the approval of God instead of man. Because this man, unlike this picture that we just saw, this man, he's like that tree planted by the water. Now this one we can all relate to, right? If you go canoeing, maybe you've been on the Mackinac River, maybe you've been others where you see, and there's this tree growing up, and you kind of, the banks kind of cut away, and you, you see the roots of the tree that kind of extend out into the water. Maybe you've been canoeing before and gotten caught up in those roots, and, and the tree has actually got its roots down into the water and underneath of the river. Now that tree, that tree is in good shape, because even when it gets dry, even when the drought comes, Its roots are in the water. Even in the middle of August when it's 90 degrees in Illinois, or maybe this year even warmer, who knows, (laughs) even then it's going to be green because it's tied into the life-giving water. The man who puts his trust in the Lord is like that tree. You see the comparison that's being drawn here? You want to be the shrub in the desert or the tree by the water. And I think it's important that that we see also that God is, if he's nothing else, he's honest, isn't he? He doesn't say, blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord because you're not going to have any problems. It's all going to be great. Maybe you've heard someone that's tried to sell that product. And that's not what God's word says. It actually says that there will be heat. There will be droughts. There will be tough times. But when there is, you've got the life-giving, sustaining nutrient of water. When we are tapped into the life-giving power of a great creator, God, now that's something to put your security in. And that's what he's saying. So, it kind of led me to the question, so why do we fear men? What is it about that, that that trips us up so often? Here you go. Three reasons why we fear man. Three reasons. Number one, because he or she can humiliate us. Mentioned because he can humiliate us, because he can expose us, because it challenges our pride. And if I cross someone or if i'm not always concerned about maybe they'll reveal who i really am on the inside number two because they can reject us because they can reject us they can ridicule they can despise us and we want to be liked we want to be respected we want to please others we want them to like us and so we're fear, we, we fear the rejection. And number three, because he or she can hurt us. He or she can hurt us, either physically or otherwise, but they can attack, they can threaten. And many times it's the fear of confrontation and the fear of well, what will happen and, and how that will work. And, and we just continue to shy away from that confrontation or, or from the attacks of others. And so we just do all that we can to just keep the peace Or at least that's what we say. But the absence of conflict doesn't always equal peace. I was reminded here this week, we had an incident uh, earlier this week that uh, uh, reminded me of about 12 years ago. 
about 12 years ago on one Saturday afternoon. It was right around noon, and I remember this very distinctly because um, I was in the kitchen, and I was on the phone with my father. My father and mom and dad at the time lived in South Carolina, and we were just kind of catching up on things here in the week. And so I'm standing in the kitchen by the kitchen table talking on the phone, and all of a sudden I heard screaming, just blood-curling screaming outside. And so I go to the window and I look and across the street, and we lived in Morton at the time, across the street we saw, I saw this man and woman who were just going at it, screaming and yelling and cussing and swearing and this whole thing's going on. And so I'm talking on the phone. I kind of stopped talking and said, started to tell my dad, we got an incident going on here. And then all of a sudden, and actually it was the, it was the gal um, I won't say lady because she, she comes at this guy and <clears throat> it just wasn't acting very ladylike. That's for sure. She starts hitting him and she was, you know, kind of put together too. And so now we've got a actual physical confrontation here going on and they're going at it and he's kind of fending off the blows that she's going at. And at this point I said to my father, I think I'd better go. I think I may need to call the police. You, you know, you ever have that thought where all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, what should I do? Should I call or shouldn't I call? And and, and yet in the back of my mind is, is that phrase, you know, you, you see him on camera afterwards. Well, I guess I should have called the police. I just, I didn't know. And I thought, that's not going to be me, right? And so I hang up the phone. I dial 911. By now he's hitting back and they're just, they're going at it. All in the front yard across the, and they don't live there. I, I think that was a son or a daughter of the lady that lived there. I mean, I didn't know who they were. So I call 911. Yes, I'm at this address. Yes, this is going on. Hurry. And I kid you not, 30 seconds. I mean, because we're in Morton, it's not far to go. First cruiser comes in, and the first cruiser that comes in is actually, the, the officer was uh, a friend of mine, a fellow that I went to church with, a previous church, and, and so I knew him. Oh, great, so now I, I know him, and, and immediately another cruiser comes in, and they go in there and do that. Well, you know, now I'm kind of curious, so... I move and I went down the stairs and went to the garage, and you know, the garage door was open, and so I start working in the garage. Kind of in the back of the garage, kind of the dark section, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't really want to, you know, be totally exposed in that. Because, I mean, at this point, they don't know who called the police, right? Well, then this terrible, terrible, fearful, terrifying thing happens. After everything gets calmed down about 10 minutes there, my buddy, the police officer, turns around and starts walking right for me. I mean, now it's like... Oh no, now they know it was me who called the police, right? You ever had that feeling? And, and, and so then Alice starts going through, I'm thinking, okay, is this, okay, is this a bad thing? I, I don't know. Is this, or, I mean, what, are they going to start yelling at me as soon as they leave? Are they going to do something to the house? Are they going to, well, I don't know. I guess I don't care really. And he came over and, and just said, hey, uh, just wanted you to know that they, they, they sent me over here to tell you. So they knew that it was me. They just wanted to apologize. We're so sorry about what all that and they're, we broke it up and carrying on. Isn't it funny how the fear of man? Really, were they going to do anything to me? Nah. But yet, I, 
you're hesitant to act. You're hesitant to do. I, I will say this week we had a similar incident, believe it or not. And this time we actually stood in the driveway and waited on the police. So there was a child involved in some stuff, so we wanted to make. We didn't care this time. So I've grown in the last 12 years. <laughs> Obviously, maybe it's me. I just incite this in people. I don't know. So we're not sure, but uh, but the fear of man. Let me ask you now. What areas in your life are you more concerned about what others are thinking than you're concerned about what God is thinking? Think about that for a second. In your life, right now, what are the areas of your life where you're more concerned about what others think than you're concerned about what God thinks? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's at home, maybe your spouse, maybe your kids. We just got to keep them happy. We just want them to like us. We just want to, and whatever it takes, even if it means maybe compromising what God has for our life. You got it? Can you think of something? How much better would it be to every day to end the day with this prayer, Jesus, are you pleased with me? Jesus, were you pleased with me today? Forget about everybody else. Were you pleased? We call that living for the audience of one. It doesn't matter. Trust me, if Jesus is pleased with you, you'll get along pretty well with others. If you're living out life to please the creator, God, king of the universe. Well, he goes on. Point number two, don't trust your own heart. Trust God's faithfulness. Don't trust your own heart, but trust God's faithfulness. Verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. Above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? First of all, when when the Bible's talking about the heart, in this case, as in many, many, really almost most of the time in Scripture, when the Bible's talking about the heart, it's, it's almost never talking about the organ in the chest. The muscle pumping blood. That's not what we're talking about. When it's talking about the heart, it's talking about the inner man. It's talking about the, our, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, not the physical, but the inner man, the immaterial. What makes you truly you, that is your heart. Now, unfortunately, God's saying that it's not a real good prognosis for our heart, is it? It says the heart is deceitful. The heart is fraudulent, insidious, crafty, tricky, deceptive. That's the condition. That's who we really are. And it even is worse. The heart is not only deceitful, it is deceitful above what? All things. That means your worst enemy is... You, your heart, the inner man. 
It means, to, it means the, the above all else is totally everything weighing all of this. The heart, most of all, is the most deceitful thing that we're going to come across. I say it this way. My heart lies. Say that with me. Uh, uh, say, everyone say my. Don't, don't, don't point it at me. It's you too. <laughs> Everybody now, ready? My heart lies. Now I'll say it with some feeling. My heart lies. Do you believe that? God says it. Now reflect back. You don't have to share it with your neighbor here, but reflect back over the last week. You know what goes on in here, don't you? Oh, we put up a good front for others. And we like to feel good about ourselves. But here we see that our heart lies. We are deceitful. This is the condition. And we are desperately sick, it says. We, we are... Um, Weak and frail, incurable is really what that desperately sick is talking about. And then it says, who can understand it? The question that God is raising, he's saying, look, who can understand the heart? And what he's saying is, you can't understand your own heart. I can't understand your heart. Your spouse definitely can't understand your heart. Your kids can't. No one can understand our hearts but God himself. So how do we know what's in the heart? Well, if you look over in uh, Hebrews 4.12, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. What's it saying? It's saying that only God, who can understand it? And, and it, it's a rhetorical question because God's saying, only I can understand your heart, God says. And only by us using the word of God can we understand our own hearts. That's the filter that every decision and everything that we need to make is, are you pleased with me, God? You know my heart. And what does your word say? And we filter it through God's word, not what we think and not what we feel. Why? Because my thinking is flawed. My feelings are way off base so many times. Why? Because my heart lies. What, what made my heart lie? What made me this way? It's real simple. It's a three-letter word. It's called sin. With one man, sin entered the world. At, 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 in the Garden of Eden, after creation, when Adam and Eve sinned, we became cursed. We, we inherit a sin nature. We are sinners. We are born in sin. We are born flawed. We are born tainted by sin. And so when we think what, what thinks, uh, in our thinking, what seems right to us, can't trust it. How do we know then if there, how do we go to absolute right and wrong? We go to the only one who can know the heart and we look into his word. This is how we discern because the heart lies. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind 
to get every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. I, the Lord, you hear that? It's the exclusivity. It's saying, I, the Lord, only me. God's saying, only I am the one who can search the hearts and the mind. And then the word there, we, we see, I, I search the heart. We talked about what that means. Uh, and I, and test the mind. You know, in this translation, um, the mind, uh, many times, actually the Hebrew word that's used here is actually, and many times it's translated the kidneys. Okay. And what it's talking about there, it's, it's really, it's talking about the down in here. It's the, the, to the Jew, that was the seat of emotion. You feel in your gut. Kind of the way I liken it. And so I test the heart. I test the inner man and the thinking. And I, and God says only I test the emotions, the desires that we have. And then he says, and then he gives every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deed. What's he saying? God's saying, I'm the judge. I'm the one that, that, that discerns the heart. I'm the one that, that gives out according to how we live. It's me. Galatians 6 says that we reap what we sow. That's really what he's talking about here. And so we can trust in the God's faithfulness. God is faithful there that when, when we are living in the fear of the Lord and we're going hard after God, He knows it. He sees it. He rewards accordingly, but also when we're not, we also suffer the consequences of that. Now again, I just mentioned it. It's not saying that all you gotta do is just follow these little rules here and everything will be great. Now, remember the goal that God has for us is not ease, it's not comfort, but it's to make us look like Jesus. And so many times it's through trials, it's through difficulties, it's through the drought and the storm. But he also says he never lets us go. He's always there making us into who he wants us to look like, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. You guys remember... uh, Remember the old wind-up clocks? Maybe some of you have got what, you know, one of those big grandfather clocks. The, the old ones, not, not, the, uh, not the new imitation ones that have the batteries in the back. But the ones that you actually have to wind up the clock. Maybe any of you men have any of those old um, pocket watches. I was thinking about this this week, and and, and those wind-up clocks, and I actually, I, I don't own one. There's, there's not one in our house anymore. Used to have it though, where you had to wind it up, and every so many days you had to wind it up again. Otherwise, what would happen? It would stop. And kind of in that process, it would slow down until it stopped. You, you know, I, I started, I did a little math here a little bit. Do you realize when you're talking about clocks, you know, time is one of those things that is very consistent. One of the problems they have with the wind up clocks is if you didn't stay on top of it, and even if you did, there was, there was some room for error in there. And so I was figuring out if you were just one second off each minute, how far off you could get down the road. You'd end up being, it would be as if you were two and a half time zones away by the end of the year. If it was just one second a minute off. The problem with the wind-up clocks is 
it was hard to keep them consistent. Now we have a thing called an atomic clock. So I did a little research. And I started thinking, you know, we talk about the atomic clock, uh, sometimes on my phone even, and you go and you go to the atomic clock to see the actual time, and a lot of times we, we use our cell phones because they're supposed to be wired in. I'm not sure about that actually, but so don't quote me on that, but we kind of think they are. And so I looked up the atomic clock. Okay, this is what it said. An atomic clock is a clock that uses the resonance frequencies of atoms as a resonator. The resonator is regulated by the frequency of the microwave electromagnetic radiation emitted and absorbed by the quantum transition energy change in the atom or the molecule. Very clear, wasn't it? Well, unfortunately, um, as I read through this, and this was just the one paragraph I pulled off that I could even pronounce the words in, the others I couldn't, I was very quickly was reminded that you know I was a a Bible major and my degrees are in that I'm not an electrical engineer and I'm sure Pastor Tim in his training knew exactly what that meant but for the rest of us what does it mean I have no idea but it means it's really accurate (laughs) it's accurate although even if you read about there's even a slight variance in the atomic clock from what I read but not so as you'd notice but I started thinking about that, and I said, you know, what I realized is, I'm the wind-up clock, who generally needs to be wound, because I'm almost out. You can't trust me if you're counting on the time. But God's the atomic clock. God's the one that we keep taking our wind-up clocks and comparing it to, saying, oh, better move it ahead of five minutes, because we got behind. Better, better move it back, because that's the standard that we base all other clocks upon. God is that standard. And that's what God's saying is, look, don't trust yourself. Your heart lies. Trust me. I'm faithful. I can be counted on. So we're talking about fear right. We're talking about the fear of man. We're talking about all those things that we do throughout the week where we get our eyes off of the Lord and we start seeking the, the, the approval and seeking the appraise because we, we want people to praise us. We want the pats on the back. We want to feel good about ourselves. You hear that? I want to feel good about myself. You know, that completely depraved, lying, rotten, desperately sick person that I really am. But I want to feel good about me. And so I'm going to go out, I'm going to try to find that in others. When the answer isn't to feel good about me, the answer is to feel good about God. The answer is to feel good about who I am in Christ. And keep my focus and attention on the fear of the Lord. Because that's faithful, that's solid, that's secure. So the question is, Do I trust my own judgment? Do I see myself as rotten as I truly am? Where do I need? Where do I need to to, to trust God in my life? What is it that's, that's tripping me up? Think back last week. What was it? Who was it? Whose approval was I seeking that tripped me up last week? Am I more concerned about God being pleased with me 
or about others or myself being pleased with me. This week, throughout the day, and each night before you go to bed, your homework assignment is this. Pray this very simple prayer. Lord, were you pleased with me today? When you get up in the morning, pray this prayer. Lord, may you be pleased with me today. And I'll stop worrying about. I won't be anxious about anything else but seeking your approval.